and then they just disappeared. And then all of a sudden, they the, they get hot at the right time, the end of the season, and they're play, they've been playing as good as any team in the tournament, and that's why we see them where they are. Yeah, they look like a one seed right now. Yeah. So do the Wisconsin Badgers in the uh, NIT tournament as well. They look like a one seed. They, you, yeah, all you of a sudden, they get to the NIT. They don't miss shots. Gotta love it, though. There's Listen, there who, is... Who needed the NCAA tournament March, March is March is year. crazy all the way around, and that's why we bring on our friend of the show, Jim Root, three-man weave, the field of 68. He's at Second Chance Points on Twitter. Let's just start with a look at the Final Four right now. Your thoughts on the field? I'm a little bummed, and I'll just say it's because there's one clear head and shoulders favorite. You are just saying it about UConn. The fact that they're an odds-on favorite, Pretty much everywhere you look, I've seen anywhere from minus 110 to minus 150, even in some places. That that bums me out a little bit. I'd like it to feel it's a little more toss-up, a little more even playing field as we go into it. I mean, last year we had uh, four blue bloods, and look, I don't need blue bloods. I just kind of want even evenly matched. And now we've got UConn who's rolling against three teams who are obviously playing well. You have to be to get here, but I don't know if they're quite up to the level, especially in terms of high ceiling outcome as UConn. How do you think Miami matches up with UConn? Because, like, the one thing I like about Miami is they're kind of – they don't really, like, run a system. It's just a bunch of guys that go out there and hoop, really. They're five-and-a-half-point dogs. The total is 149-and-a-half. It seems so easy just to grab UConn at five-and-a-half. But what would you do in this game, and how do you think Miami does match up with the Huskies? Yeah, I'm leaning UConn, and part of it's because we just saw them dismantle another elite offense in the last round. Yeah. Um, Gonzaga is kind of a – you can make a comparison between them – in Miami, it's a different kind of team where Gonzaga is very built around Timmy and his inter interior contributions. But Miami's backcourt is elite. I, I think they can give UConn a little bit of problems getting into gaps, spacing the floor. But, man, UConn is just so long. Like, uh, up and down the perimeter, as long as they're not playing too much DR or Calcaterra, it's like 6'5 and up everywhere you look. That could give Miami some problems, uh, especially Pack is a little bit smaller, could be bothered by some of that length on the perimeter. And then in the inside, that, that's where I get really worried for Miami. Omir's been awesome, and, and I think he can hold up 1v1 at times. But if he gets in foul trouble, this game's over. And I do think they're going to have to send help to him. Uh, and that can open things up for the UConn shooters. They've been hot all tournament. If they're knocking down shots again, and again, you know, we'll see in the, in the environment of an NFL stadium whether that holds true. Uh, but I just think UConn's got too many routes to points against a defense that's really been leaky all season for the Hurricanes. Do you think, though, Jim, that the defense that Miami has shown in the tournament would give you sort of like a different perspective on that? Because, yes, if you look at just their ratings defensively, I think they're like 100th in defensive rating. But in the tournament, they've been swarming really long, really athletic, getting into passing lanes, you know, stopping the drive. Uh, just kind of a different identity than we saw from Miami throughout the course of the regular season. I think that swarming is very important. Uh, my, my cohort at Three Man Weave, Matt, has kept pointing to the game that UConn lost at home to St. John's where they turned it over 27 times. That was a, a very big hiccup in the road for them. Miami's not going to be able to press like that. They don't have the depth. But selectively, I think they need to get into UConn, bother them a little bit. We saw Arkansas have some success with that in the second half. And that game was already over. It was, it was a blowout. But they did force some turnovers. Got some easy baskets that way. We'll see if Miami's able to mix that in at the right times. The defense still, though, it, it's been a little bit leaky. You go back their last three games, they've given up one point per possession or more in three straight. Texas was at 1.13, I believe. 
Miami's just really simply outscored teams. And while the offense is capable of doing that, now you've got a team that is good on both ends of the floor in UConn that just makes me a little nervous. I, Miami's good enough to hang around. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't. It's not an auto blowout. Just my gut tells me UConn has accessed this form that they had at the beginning of the year. They're now 15-0 against the spread, against non-conference competition. That That is kind of staggering for me. And this is another game, not playing a Big East team. So I, I have to lean UConn. Talking to Jim Root, BetMGM tonight, uh, Florida Atlantic. I mean, it's it's a great story, and at the same time, it's felt improbable because you're watching a team that's, look, not even just from a smaller conference, but they're a small team besides, like, one guy. Like, the smallest team in the country. What What is it about this team, this group, this collection of guys that really don't look like a Final Four team other than, yes, they were, what, 35-3, and three, like, and they were 35-3. Now, I, I understand that. Like, what is it about them that got them to this point? To me, it's the depth and the balance. That's the biggest on-court thing where they can go out any night and have they, – they play seven guards who can all score, create, dribble, shoot. It, it, they've got just different guys that can have it on any, uh, on any single night, and they can kind of go through that rotation. All right, we've got these seven. Two guys aren't hitting shots. They're not playing the well. well let's lean on the other five. And then the paint, they've got that two-headed monster between Golden and Rosado that allows them to compete with bigger, more physical teams – and this matchup, I think, is going to be easy to compare to Tennessee, a game they, they held up pretty well earlier. But to me, yeah, it's just that balance, the fact that they can go to different guys, attack bad matchups. If the other team's got a, a weak perimeter defender, they can really pick on that guy. And then just off the floor, they're, they're enjoying themselves. Dusty May is keeping them, you know, in the moment, but not, like, tensed up. They, they, they're having fun. I think the only time they've been a favorite in this tournament was the FDU game, and I think we saw them tense up a little bit there. But as the underdog, they're, they're just having a blast and, and kind of enjoying the angle of shocking the world right now. Jim, I think you did a great job on uh, Field of 68, drinking high noons while broadcasting. I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> Glad you caught that. Day. Thank you. We, we were watching. I thought <laughs> yeah. you killed it. Who do you think matches up? Let's say we just want the best national championship game. Do you think San Diego State or Florida Atlantic match up better with UConn? Since I think we all agree UConn's probably winning that game, which means, you know, as better as Miami wins on the money line. But uh, who do you think matches up better? I think FAU would give us a much more fun game. Maybe San Diego State would have you know, at least the equal chance to win because of how they're going to muck it up, and they're going to drag the game down into the half court, force UConn to play in the half court, knock it out in transition. Some of some of their most uh, deadly runs won't come when they get going on the break. FAU's got the offensive weaponry, I think, to hang around with UConn. Maybe they're not as big. That is definitely a question, especially like at the 3-4 spot where UConn's rolling out Caravan and Andre Jackson, some really big guys that can shoot over the top or be you know, exceedingly athletic. But the fact that FAU hasn't had a great shooting game yet so far this tournament, they're capable of it. They've been an awesome shooting team all season, and they've got seven guys that can do it. We haven't seen that yet. So maybe on that you know big stage Monday night, they really have that true offensive breakout performance and give us the, the David versus Goliath story that I think would really get people interested in a Final Four that doesn't have as many storylines, especially as last year where we had like storylines galore. What do you think about what we're seeing in college basketball with Transfer Portal, NIL, and now Blue Bloods going down, dropping like flies? Is this good for growing the game uh, or not? In some ways, yes. I think if we had this every year, the no one seeds, no two seeds, a noticeable lack of recognizable brands, then it would be bad. Right now, 
one year. I think it's kind of fun. It gives the the mid majors a true like, hey, th- this is how good they are. They can measure up to some of these power conference teams. And then you have last year to lean on and point at and say, look, it's not going to be every season. We do have the the seasons where Kansas, Villanova, Duke, UNC will get through. So I'm I'm going to closely be watching it as we go forward here. I, I think it's it's nice right now this season to say, look, the, all that stuff you mentioned, the NIL, the transfer portal, the extra year for COVID, it's not just benefiting the big boys. The, the other teams are finding a way to make it work for them. And that's going to be key going forward where there's not this sense of competitive balance, imbalance, I guess, uh, where it's just helping the big boys. I think the, the other teams are really finding a way to make this system work for them as well. How do you think this affects coaches too? Because three out of the four final four coaches are players' coaches. You're seeing guys who are more, I guess, stodgy and hard on players. Players are transferring as well. How, how do you think that some of these changes to the NCAA affect the type of coaches that we're going to see get big jobs? It's huge. A player retention is like maybe number one for your goal as a coach. The X and O stuff's big and recruiting, but like if you can keep guys around like Dusty May has, like some of the San Diego State guys have stuck around for a while, that's that's massive because you get that continuity, you get to build up. You know, if you start at one place in the offseason and, and only get so far developing and learning different schemes, then if you keep guys around, the next year you can start from a much higher level and start to build from there. I think that's been a big reason FAU has succeeded. I talked to Dusty May in the, the preseason for a, an almanac preseason guide that we did, a preview magazine, and he was saying, like, it's good. We've got all these guards. I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but it's a great problem to have. The fact that we have seven of them, we can kind of rotate them in, figure out a different way to play. As long as they can compete on the glass, he felt good about it. I think that's the kind of coach that you need, somebody who's going to stay in contact with the players, make them feel supported, and give them a chance to know that, look, you're not buried on the bench because anybody that feels buried is probably going to transfer at this point. So you got to give guys chances and let them rotate and, and not just lean on only five or six guys. I think that's that's trouble. Yeah, I think it's interesting just to see the we've seen the evolution in college football already and it's starting to happen in basketball too. And I think some parity is good, but a lot of parity can be just like a bunch of, like we talked about this earlier in the NBA and the Western Conference. Like there's no team that really stands out because there's really no team that's great right now or that you at least trust in the playoffs, those types of things. So I think there's probably limits of that with college basketball. But what I do think is interesting about it too, especially moving forward, is you know now you can be these smaller programs. You kind of touched on this a little bit. You can be these smaller programs that, quite frankly, if you could pay a guy in free agency and you got a booster that can do it, you can bring in some talent and become a program that's maybe like a Gonzaga where you go from mid-major and a smaller conference to now a powerhouse even though they can't win a national title. Is there a possibility that this kind of stays this way for good in college basketball where the Blue Bloods are going to lose out a little bit more, maybe not in recruiting, but then in that transfer portal? Yeah, there's there's certainly other things that might come in as the the super conferences continue to build. We add more and more teams to the Big Ten and uh, the Big Twelve. I think is probably going to end up at more than twelve very soon. Pac-12 is going to start picking off teams from the Mountain West, et cetera. So maybe some of that gets dicier. But I agree. If you've got momentum going at a smaller program the way FAU does, I think they're going to get a better facility and start to bring in more guys and other. Their players are being recruited by other schools right now. Dusty Mays come out and said that, that he's already having to work on retention, even as their run is still going on. But there's certain schools like Charleston is one I think of as kind of a sleeping giant. Great fan support. It's in a place where there's not a ton of pro distractions or other teams that the the fans are going to go after. 
They've, they've had a pretty robust basketball budget for years. Pat Kelsey's a fantastic coach. We saw him make the tournament this year. Got close to at-large caliber. I think there are going to be those teams that start to emerge. If you can keep a coach for just long enough, pay him well enough, you've got guys that are going to come through in the portal wanting opportunities from the power conference teams where they weren't able to play as much. And I think that's really the the hack for this mid, these mid-majors. Now, FAU, I keep going back to them. They've got a guy from Texas Tech, a guy from Minnesota, a guy from UConn. That's the way to build your team. Take advantage of those guys that are leaving um, areas that they weren't able to play as much and, and give them the greener pastures they're seeking. Really quick before we let you run, Jim, I'm curious about your thoughts on Jerome Tang. And Bill Self obviously had some health issues. Do you think there's a possibility that that's the next job for, for Coach Tang? Is that even a, a crazy thought that I can have? <laughs> I'll allow it. I don't know exactly what um, what's going on with Bill Self. It seems like he's going to be all right. You know, I, you know, that's that's what we're all hoping for. And it sounded like maybe he got close to coming back for the NCAA tournament. Maybe if they had made the Sweet 16, he would have been there for that second weekend. But that somebody is going to get a look at almost every elite job going forward. Uh, we saw the success that Tommy Lloyd has had at Arizona, just fresh off the uh, the assistant staff from Mark Few. Now Jerome Tang immediately has success at Kansas State, takes him to the Elite Eight, seems to be beloved by everybody. Like it, you know, whoever associates with him is just like, yeah, it's a great guy. His players love him. Keontae Johnson was like crying in the locker room talking about how important Tang has been to him. That's a relationship builder, and clearly he has the X and O savvy too. Anytime there's like a blue blood job opening, and there, there might be a few in the future, I think he's going to get his name thrown in there. I know they, they, there was talk about him maybe getting Texas. Uh, obviously Rodney Terry secured that, but that's the kind of thing I think we're going to hear whispers about just because of how, how good he is and how good of a guy he seems to be. Jim Root, three-man weave, the field of 68. Good talking to you as always, good man. Stuff. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by just the evolution of college sports. Uh, really, you may not like it, but it's going to change the landscape. And it, you, We're going to have years, obviously, because it's not like Kentucky or Duke or whoever can't get the biggest players in the transfer portal, too. But that being said... I just feel like you're evening the playing field out just at least a little bit right now. And yeah. maybe we see a team that becomes a blue blood, like mm -hmm. the new blue blood. Is there going to be a team that emerges right. because they didn't just, like, they weren't ordained as the blue blood? Well, yeah, they just, it's, it's history. Yeah. It's based on history and success, yeah. Yeah, the thing with Florida Atlantic is we keep talking about them like they're this, like, Cinderella story. They led the nation in wins. Like, yep. they won over 30 games this season. But they're you know really how it good is. Basketball like, they're winning team. against competition that's not considered. For sure. You know, it's not. Although, man, the Conference the USA, it turns out, man, I mean. Pretty good. And, yeah. some, really and sometimes good. it we'll takes. We'll watch UAB later on. Sometimes I mean. it takes getting to the tournament to be able to see. Yeah. Oh, it's not just that they were good in their conference. They're just good. It's funny, though, because, it. like, a couple of years ago, you know, like, I was like, oh, man, Northwestern basketball. And that's where I was interning. And Chris Collins, like, he was talking about this, though. And that was, like, the one thing I took away. He was like, college basketball in 10 years is going to be completely different. It's not going to yep. be just, like, Blue Bloods, Duke, Kentucky. You know, it's going to be, like, these small programs with three, four-year players or starters. Yeah, It's good for the NBA, too. Agreed. I'd like to see more players go to college as opposed to the G League. <laughs> Would you rather see these guys at least play a year there? So, all right, it's BetMGM tonight.